Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. Why don't you turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. And if you're taking notes, this is entitled The Empty Tomb. I'm incredibly excited for what God is going to do here today. Let me, let me share this. Let me, let me set the stage this way. Especially for those that maybe this is brand new. I want to just present this to you. Imagine, imagine you were to go out on a Saturday morning to your mailbox, and you were to grab your mail. And as you bring it inside, you begin to flip through all of the standard things you would get, the bills, the proposals for a new credit card, whatever it may be. But in the midst of that, you find a letter that looks quite official. You can tell that it's from a law firm. We'll just call it Miller and Sons. And you see it on there. And you know this is official, and when you open it up, you come to find that you have a long-distant relative that you've never met that has recently passed away and has left you a significant inheritance. Now, what would your emotion be in that? Certainly there would be joy. Certainly there would be joy, but in the culture we live today, I would go to say if this was real life, there would be a great deal of skepticism. We would say, is this real? Who is this guy? Is this law firm even real? But one thing I know for sure is because of the offer that is being made, there is no doubt that despite the skepticism, you would look into it. You would be foolish not to look into it to see if it is real. All of us would go research that law firm. All of us would go and research that lost relative and find out, is this real? Do I have this inheritance? And I want to share with you that what the resurrection offers is significantly, immeasurably, infinitely greater than that value of money. And it is worthy of all of our attention and care to say, wait a minute. If Jesus truly raised from the grave, if he really conquered death, if he really is the son of God, I have to look into this. Because if it's true, everything changes in my life. So we're going to look at a portion of scripture regarding the resurrection. And here's, here's a quick background before I read it. Mary, Mary is coming, Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb, and she's coming to anoint Jesus, most likely because the, the process of his, of his crucifixion and his burial was, was so rushed that there wasn't a proper anointing. And so she went there to, to honor him. And when you read all the gospel accounts, it's quite clear that none of the disciples, and especially these women who went there, they were not going there expecting to find a risen Christ. In fact, pr prior to Jesus, there were many messiahs that, came, messiahs that came forward to claim that they were the one, and they would have this, this following, and then this uprising, and they'd be killed. And there was great discouragement and sadness because many of these disciples who were following Jesus were now wondering, is this what happened with Christ? We thought he was the one. And so as they head to the tomb, there's a great deal of of discouragement, although they're coming to honor him. And this is what it says, Matthew chapter 28. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone 
and sat on it. I just love that. <laughs> I mean, what did that look like? I was picturing, I mean, was he just like eating an apple on the stone and just, just rolled it open and, and heaven's throne just comes on man's obstacle of impossibility, just sits right there. And it says, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. Verse 4, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, listen to this, as he said, come see the place where he lay. There was an invitation. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Come see, then go and tell. Go and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with, great, with fear and great joy. This wasn't, a, this wasn't a, uh, a scared fear. It was an inexpressible awe at what they had just witnessed. And they left with this, this, this wonder and awe and this great joy because they had encountered the risen Christ. And it says this, verse 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So what I want to share with you just for a few moments here is, is the, the empty tomb. And a revelation of the empty tomb is transformative when you come to this realization that Christ is risen. And I want to just show you three ways, three things the Lord put on my heart when reading through this portion of scripture of how this revelation of an empty tomb changes you. And the first thing I want to share with you is that it transforms your perception of life. What I mean by that is by perception, it's your way of understanding or interpreting something. You see, everything changes when you realize that the kingdom of God that Christ preached is now here and available for us to walk in and live in us. Everything changes. But what I, what I really feel, especially for today and what I'm going to pray for at the end for some of you, is I feel God wants to release a profound hope into each and every one of our hearts. The hope that we speak of in the Bible is not the worldly hope, which actually, when we typically speak of hope in a worldly sense, it's usually in the context of uncertainty. I hope my dad comes home early. I hope this works out. It's actually saying, I don't think this will happen. But in the context of biblical hope, it is a confident expectation that God will do what he says he will do. But not just that, there is a joyful anticipation in the process. It is like a child sitting around at the Christmas time around the tree waiting for those gifts. He can't even contain himself as he bounces around. There is a hope that begins to penetrate your heart when you realize that Jesus has conquered the grave. Any area of your life that you see no path of hope you have come under the influence of a lie. If there's something in your life right now, you say, I see no hope for this, you've come under the influence of a lie. And God is going to break that today with profound hope when you see the victorious king. And I believe that God has said, I'm not just going to release any type of hope. Because look, there, there's, and this is, there's nothing wrong with this, there's a type of hope that God releases that will transcend your brokenness. In other words, you will still have deep pain, but there's a hope that's with it, and the hope is greater. Okay, that happens. But what I feel God said specifically for today is it's not a hope that's going to coexist. It's actually a hope that's going to be birthed through the pain. 
It's actually a hope that is going to be manifested through your brokenness. And the very thing that has seemed like a tomb and a grave in your life, God actually wants to, today, I believe, there's been people praying for things. Today's a day of breakthrough. Today's a day where that thing is not just with you. It's actually God wants to have a revelation of the empty tomb. And in that, it's going to change that thing where it's now, it's now a launching pad for hope. Because think of this. In this story, the movement begins with movement towards the tomb. All the disciples and, and the women are moving towards the tomb. And they're moving there with grief and sadness. But when they encounter Jesus, movement comes away from the tomb, now with hope and joy. The tomb actually became a launching pad for praise and for hope and a message to the world that he is risen. So that broken relationship will become a message of hope. The place where you just feel bound, you don't know what you can do, that addiction, it will become a message of hope. That's what he's done in my life. So I don't know how it will look exactly. Sometimes God will do that in a profound way. And, and other times i found it's just a subtle shift. You'll walk out of this place saying, man, it is well with my soul. That's all I can say is that the very thing that was just killing me, man, now that I've got a revelation of who he is, everything has changed for me. It is the essence of John 11. How many remember when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? And when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead, his sister Martha, Lazarus' sister, came to him. And she said, Jesus, basically she says, Jesus, you should have been here earlier. And she says, my brother's dead. And he says, no, your brother will rise again. And this is what she says, paraphrasing a little bit, but she says, I know that he'll rise again in the last day. In other words, she gave the perfect scripture response to Jesus. Here's the scripture. I know he'll rise again in the last day. That's when the resurrection will take place. And Jesus says this. He says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. You see, this is really important. The resurrection and the life is not an event. It's a person. And so Jesus was saying, we're not waiting for an event. I myself am the resurrection and the life, which means if I'm here, resurrection and life is possible today. Now listen, I'm not saying that there aren't things that you have to wait for until you get to heaven. Listen, there are certainly injustices and things that take place that are far beyond my understanding. But I know one thing, though, that there is possibility and availability for breakthrough and hope and resurrection life today. And if it's available in the Word, then I'm going to go for it. And we're going to believe for God to just release that over every broken situation. Yeah. I just, I just sense it. <laughs> I sense it in here. I think it's so easy to tell Jesus, use scripture to actually cover up unbelief in our heart and say it'll happen down the road, Jesus. And he says, no, 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 do you believe today? Do you believe that broken relationship? Do you believe this stronghold in your life can break? We believe it, Lord. But I want you to see something here. In every gospel account, now maybe you've realized this before, but I've never realized this. There is an emphasis, I, I, I've recognized this, but the meaning there's an emphasis of the, the, the tomb being rolled away. How many of you have read through the gospel accounts and you've seen that? Right? We're all on the same page there? So here's the question I started thinking about. In the gospel of John, when Jesus resurrects, in that account it says that his grave clothes were still in the tomb. It's really emphasized, which means that he, he passed through his grave clothes. Not only that, but it says in, in 
a little bit later, it says that he meets his disciples who are in a locked room out of fear that they're going to be persecuted for their association with Jesus. And when the room is locked, it says Jesus passes through the wall. So wait a minute. If he can pass through his grave clothes, if he can pass through a wall, why did the tomb have to be open? If, if Jesus, listen, if Jesus, if Jesus conquered sin, death, the devil himself triumphed over it, made a public spectacle of it. Was he in the tomb, banging on the tomb, saying, somebody come and let me out? I've never really thought about this, though. So why was the tomb rolled open, and why was this emphasized in every gospel? It's not so that Jesus could come out. It's so that the followers could come in. God wanted to bring a revelation of the empty tomb. He says, that's the invitation. He says, come and see. Not so Jesus can come out because I want to stir your faith so that you understand what is available now. The kingdom of God is at hand and everything changes now because he is risen. Listen, when you encounter this, it's, God is inviting us into something. It's, it's a call to, to walk in boldness, faith. It changes the purpose of our life. We no longer have to see things from a natural lens. This is what the Father wants to reveal. You don't have to live in the natural anymore. You need to encounter this revelation that, that you've been invited into another realm of living, and this realm of living is rooted in the reality that the kingdom of God that Jesus preached is here now. And where the kingdom of God is, that's God's rule and reign, which means everything that sin has broken begins to be restored. And this is what we can live in. Listen, the tomb stretches well beyond another principle to memorize. It's an invitation into a new life. You guys follow me? Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I don't know if this is cheesy or not, but I'll go for it. We have two services, so this is good. I'll just cut it out next time. But I want you to picture this. Imagine, imagine um, us as a group. We went to Niagara Falls, and we went to go see this incredible gymnast who's a great tight rope walker. I don't know if that's the name, but that's what they do. So we all go there and gather at Niagara Falls, and he asks, he says, do you think I can walk back and forth? And we say, we believe. We have confidence you can do it. And sure enough, he goes back and forth. And then he says, I want to raise the stakes. He says, I want to go back and forth with a wheelbarrow. Do you believe I can do it? And we all shout out, you can do it. We believe in you. We have confidence. And he goes back and forth. And then he says, I have one more request. I want to go back and forth with a, with a wheelbarrow, but I want to do it with a person in it. Do you think I can do it? And everyone says, absolutely, you can do it. We have confidence in you. And then he says, great, I need a volunteer. <laughs> and the place gets silent. Listen, I say that in a joking way, but the reality is, is the empty tomb causes us to change our life. It has to. And I don't know about you, but I see in my life, I say, man, Lord, I believe kingdom of God is here. I believe all power and authority has been given to you and you live in me. But then when the call comes forward for certain situations, I stay on the sideline. I'm grateful for his grace, though, and his mercy. He walks us through that. But I want to provoke in you today a hunger to live in the reality that the kingdom of God is available. Listen, we need the resurrection we need the resurrection. Here's why. Because Jesus, when Jesus came to live his life, part of it, part of it is he's, is he's fulfilling the law on our behalf to be righteousness for us. 
there's another aspect of which he is also modeling what our lives are meant to look like. Not as saviors, but as sons and daughters. It's sonship. Over and over, that's why he says, as I was sent, I will send you. He's modeling something for us. Basically what he's saying is, as I live in perfect dependence on the Holy Spirit and perfect submission to the Father, this is what it's supposed to look like for you. This is what you lost in the garden. So he models a life, then he dies the death that we deserve. But if he doesn't resurrect, we may have the example, we may even have forgiveness, but we don't have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the very power to empower us to live it out. We have to have it. This is why the scriptures say he is things like this. He's the first fruits. He's the firstborn. He's a pioneer. He's a forerunner. This is what the scripture is saying. Basically, Jesus has gone before us and now says, follow me. And the empty tomb is the invitation to follow him as the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. N.T. Wright puts it this way. I love this. He says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That after all, that after all is what the Lord's prayer is about. This is an invitation not for us to leave this earth, but for heaven to come to earth through us and to establish his kingdom here. That's what the Lord's prayer is. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, right? On earth as it is in heaven. The empty tomb is, it's now. It's now for us to walk in. But listen to me. This is important. The Lord, Lord was showing me this. Is in Matthew 27, right before the, the scriptures we just read. In Matthew 27, it shows the Pharisees, the religious leaders coming together. And they said they remember, listen to this, they remember that when Jesus was alive, he said that he would die, and then on the third day, he would, he would be raised to new life. And so they said this. They said, listen, they go to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and say, listen, we need to seal this tomb. We need to seal this tomb. It was a special process they did. They would seal it shut, and they would put Roman guards in front of it. They didn't want anyone to come. This is the essence of religion. Religion is built on the principles of God, but the God that is in the center is both impersonal and powerless. What your father wants to do is invite you into a revelation that the tomb is empty, but religion wants to conceal it. And my heart is that we would be a church that gives, that gives an opportunity to say, Lord, here it is. Open it up, God. We want everyone to see, Lord, that, that, that you are risen. I'm so thankful that we are part of a body I know so many that are hungry to walk in the true power of God. I'm not content with having just an empty, dead knowledge of God. So many people, that's what religion is. They get these principles of God, but then when they get close to it, the, 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 the tomb has been sealed. And so they don't understand the power of God, and their lives aren't changing. I want you to meet him, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus where your life will never be the same. Listen, Caesar, Caesar, actually I was speaking about this, and he gave me this scripture. It's so perfect for what the Lord was revealing. Matthew 23, 13, Jesus goes through these, woe is you to the religious leaders. And he says this. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. 
man, I want to be a place and I want to be known as a church that say, man, come in and look. The tomb is empty. That you can live in reality of that. Our lives, our lives are meant to be living realities every day of an empty tomb. Our lives are meant to be a display of the power of his resurrection. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, this is one of the deep longings of his heart? Over and over in the scriptures, Paul would say, I am not content with just preaching about the kingdom, preaching about the gospel. It is not just a matter of words. It's a demonstration of power. In Philippians 3.10, he actually says this. To show one of the deepest longings of his heart, he says, I want to know him, meaning Christ, and the power of his resurrection. Meaning, I don't want to just study a a historical event. I want to know the fruit and the virtues and the life change that comes from that resurrection. Paul said, "This, this is what categorizes my longing, to know that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to walk in right living, holiness, righteousness. I want to know what he's made available. And I don't want to just preach the kingdom of God. I want the kingdom of God to manifest here so that he can be made famous. Not so that we can build something and say, look what we're doing, but so that he can be made famous. Because when the disciples would go out and they would begin to preach the word of God and they were met with resistance, then God would allow them to lead them into healings and deliverance. And guess what would happen? Everyone would say, man, we didn't believe your words, but we can't deny this. And then they would have a platform to preach the gospel right there. Man, we got a hunger for the power of his resurrection. People, I believe we are living a day and age where people are so hungry but they want the truth. They don't want the religion that's just empty and dead. So it transforms our perception. I'll go, I'm not gonna go as long as the other two, but the second thing is that it transforms people. It transforms people. And I I wanna share this. I was inspired by another pastor and it just led me to just dig deeper in this, but I think this is absolutely fascinating that the resurrection of Jesus, it actually, Psalm 2-7 actually talks about him almost being begotten again. It, 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 that's not what happened, but it's such a radical new birth, a new creation, that it speaks to, uh, it, it just speaks to this profound change that has taken place, and he's the first of a new creation. And the reason why I say that is because when he was first born on earth, the very first person to touch him was his mother Mary, and his mother Mary is the virgin. And the reason why that's important is because it spoke not to her sinlessness, but to the purity and sinlessness of Jesus. Because Jesus, when he first came, it was to fulfill the law. He had to fulfill it. He had to walk in perfect righteousness on our behalf. So the first Mary was the Virgin Mary. But do you know that in the Gospel of John, it actually gives us this picture where Mary, not Mary, his mother, but Mary Magdalene, has this encounter with Jesus And she doesn't know it's Jesus. She actually thinks it's a gardener. And as they're talking, she's just weeping because she thinks the body has been stolen. And finally, Jesus says, Mary. And when he says Mary, her eyes are open and she realizes it's Jesus. And his next line is, stop clinging to me because I need to go to the Father. The point is, is that Mary Magdalene was the first to touch him after the new birth. Mary, his mother, signifying the law. Mary Magdalene, the one who was possessed by seven demons, is the first to touch him after he's resurrected. It is the dawn of the new age. We are moved from the covenant of the law to the covenant of grace. 
do you, do you know this? This is so important because there are some who just don't think they can ever touch Jesus. Everyone in this room can touch Jesus. Everyone in this room. Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, she, Luke 8 says she was possessed with seven demons. You say, well, what does that life look like? We have a little bit of a glimpse from Mark 5 of what the life of a demoniac looked like. It was a man who was living in the tombs. It was a man who was half naked, who would cut himself, who was known to be crazy in his mind. He was a social outcast and kicked to the side. So in some degree, we know that Mary Magdalene's life was like that. She's the one we walk by down the street picking garbage whose clothes are torn up. And we would just walk by and we'd say she's out of her mind. But as Christians, we know there's something deeper going on there. Do you recognize that was the first woman to touch Jesus? That's the first one that touched him. And that's the one who was the first evangelist because he said, go and tell. God entrusted the most precious message that he has risen to this woman who was known as a crazy woman before, demonically possessed. Anybody, anybody can touch Jesus and have new life. Do you know that when she looked in the tomb in John, when she looked in the tomb, she saw two angels. One sitting at the, where it's, Jesus' body is in there, but some believe that maybe that his clothes were actually still holding his form. I don't know, but we know that the scripture says that one of the angels was sitting where his head would have been, his clothes are in the middle, and one was sitting at his feet. And the presence, where the presence of Jesus was, was in the middle. And I believe it's a prophetic picture of, from the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies, where they would go into, where the high priest would go, there was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God. And sitting on each side, where the presence was in the middle, was two angels, two cherubim. And the... And the and the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, was also known as the mercy seat. Do you understand? The mercy seat continues to this day, but now it's found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where everyone is invited. There's no one who is, who's too far gone to experience the new life that Christ offers. I absolutely love Paul, the Apostle Paul. I love his letters. He is one of, if you actually study his life, he is brilliant. He knew multiple languages. He studied cultures that he would minister in so that he could contextualize the gospel. He was effective in church planning. This man was a genius. And if you read through his letters, he puts together some of the best arguments to convey that Christ is truly the Son of God. But I say that because Paul's greatest case, his greatest argument to the risen Christ was not found in his letters, but found in his transformed life. Because you could say whatever you want, but when you realize that this man used to persecute the church and now he lays his life down for the church, no one can deny that. And when you encounter the risen Christ, your life changes. My life has changed. I don't do drugs anymore. There was a time where I used to steal money from my wife after she got back home from having cash. That's the man I used to be. I'm not that man anymore. I've been changed. When I look around this room, listen, when I look around this room, I, I just see right in this row, I know so many people, the, the transformation that has happened, your lives speak many times louder than the scriptures do to me. And I'm not devaluing the scriptures, I'm just saying the power of a transformed life. And Mary's life was changed, and you could say whatever you want, but when you saw Mary spreading the good news, you would say, wait a minute, I saw that lady picking garbage. I thought she was crazy, and now she's sharing the good news. 
And the last thing I'll share here is that he transforms not just our perception, not just people, but he transforms our purpose. Because, listen, if you look at the life of the disciples, what happened after they encountered the risen Christ? Do you see the intensity that they have to go and tell everyone what they have seen? In the Gospel of Luke, it actually says that Jesus, think about this, Jesus actually had to tell his disciples, wait, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you and empower you. Don't, don't go. The implication is they were so ready to share what they had seen that Jesus actually had to say, hold on, hold on, hold on, not yet. Come on, are we seeing that today? Are we seeing that in our lives? Are we, I'll just be honest, I, that, that convicts me deeply because I often need a push to go, and these men need to be told, hold on, hold on, wait one second. I know what you've seen is, is life-changing, and I know now this is going to be your, the focus of your entire life, but just wait a moment. You need to be filled and empowered. And by the way, next week when we go back into the Holy Spirit, we're going to be talking about that very thing of being empowered and clothed with the Holy Spirit. But their lives were radical. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and 3, you see a church that gives up everything for one another. You see a church that meets daily. You see a church that perseveres in the midst of persecution. And my point is, is that we would look at that and we say, man, that looks kind of radical. That looks kind of crazy. But as I thought about this, I said, wait a minute. They saw Jesus get ripped open, hang on a cross, and they saw the three days pass. The only thing that would be crazy is if after encountering the risen Christ, they gathered together and said, well, hold on. Let's not get too carried away here. Jesus was resurrected on a Sunday, so let's meet on Sundays. And let's gather for, what is two hours? And someone says that's way too long. All right, one hour. <laughs> one hour, we'll gather on Sundays. We'll go through the routine, and we'll, and we'll leave. And we'll go back to our normal lives. Honestly, that's the only thing that would be crazy, is if we've encountered a risen Christ and he hasn't become everything in our life, we have to say, have we seen him? And that's not to condemn. That, that's to say, man, there is a greater purpose to live for now. Jesus didn't go through everything he did so that we can meet for an hour on Sunday. Come on, he's worthy of everything. He's worthy of everything. Acts chapter 4, Peter and John healed a man. They brought before the Sanhedrin. They basically, the religious leader said, look, I don't want to hear you talking about Jesus. I don't know what to do with this healed man, but don't talk about Jesus. And they said this, we can't stop speaking about the one we have seen and heard. Do you hear that? See the connection? Seeing motivates the going. Come and see, then go and tell. If you struggle, if you struggle with going, it's because you're not seeing. This is why we prioritize time with Jesus. Because when you see him in his word and the Holy Spirit makes him real, the natural response is, I have to go and tell people. It's not something's forced. It's just, it's just what comes out of me. You guys follow me? Can I get five more minutes? All right. I want to I share something real quick. I'm not a, uh, I'm not, um, uh, what do you call it, a prop guy by any means. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm going to go for it today. <laughs> It's really not my style, but I just feel like it's really impactful. So I'm going to grab something over here. My little rope. You can just hold the back side if it goes. Can you guys see me? Okay. This is a rope. Nothing tricky here. I want you, let me move it back. I want you to imagine that this rope 
now we're doing a little crazy thing. You don't need to hold it up too high. No, it's all right. I want you to imagine that this rope goes on forever and ever. It stops with Dina, but it goes on forever and ever, okay? And this rope is a picture of our lives. We are eternal beings. Do you guys know that? Our lives will go on forever and ever and ever. And this little red piece represents our life on earth. And the sad reality is, is that many of us are living for this red piece right here. As if that's all there is. Can you think about this for a moment? I've been in that rat trap where I work so hard and try to save less money for this little sliver right here that I can finally enjoy. Do you realize why God says it's foolish to store up treasures on earth? Because you'll be here today and gone tomorrow. He actually says, what you do in this little section will determine all of this forever. And we live in a culture, this is hard because we live in a culture where this is everything. But what I, my heart is, is I want to raise up a people that understand the reality of this. And as a result, they've encountered the risen Christ and their life pursuit is living for this. Listen, I've been told at times it's foolish some of the decisions we've made. It's foolish that you wouldn't do this or do that. And I think actually it's foolish to live for this. It's foolish that I would think this is all there is. And I want to provoke you today to say, oh, my goodness. Listen, everything in this earth will pass away except him and those who believe in him. And he will restore a new heaven and new earth. And our job is to let the world know that all of this, all of this is, is going to, we're going to go somewhere. We say, Lord. Lord, may everyone encounter the risen Christ and know you. I'm going to give you my rope back. So I want to close here. Um, Jasmine, can you play keys for me? Is that all right? I'm going to close here as, and pray for you guys. Before, before I pray just for, for releasing of hope, as we shared in the beginning, I do want to, I do want to make sure that there is an opportunity for every single person in this room to know Jesus. Now, we do this every Sunday in some way, but I recognize today that there's many that maybe don't come often and you're here because of friends and family. And I'm just not gonna be ashamed to share the reality is that you're not here to fulfill a cultural obligation to attend Easter service, because that's what we do. You have a Father in heaven who longs for you and he's brought you here in his sovereignty because he wants you to meet him. And I want, you to, I want you to hear this. I want you to picture this story right here. Imagine this man who's extremely wealthy and a Christian man. And he goes to the home of a very poor widow. And he goes there early in the morning because he wants to bless her with a large amount of money. Because he knows the desperate need that she is in. And so he goes to her house and he knocks on the door. And he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks. And the woman in the house hears him, but she will not answer. And so finally night comes, and he has to leave with his heart broken, and he goes. A few days later, that man encounters her in the street and says, Ma'am, don't you know I was at your house? And I came there to bring you a large sum of money because I know that the need that you are in. And her eyes begin to fill with tears because she said, I didn't realize you were bringing me money. I don't have any money, and when I heard the door knocking, I thought that you were the rent collector. You see, many of us have not opened the door because we think he's come 
to ask for a debt to be paid. And you do not realize that why he knocks on the door is to share the good news that your debt has been paid. It's not a taskmaster that comes to say, I need this. He comes to say, I have done it for you. You have a savior that comes and offers a gift. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus says, but I have paid it for you. And the free gift of God is eternal life that is found in Christ. Chris, if you could put the scripture up, Romans 6, 4. You say, well, how do I enter into this? This is what Romans 6, 4 says. It says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, newness of life. Paul puts it this way. If you want to experience a new life, you have to enter into his death. What does that mean? Number one, you have to identify that there was a payment that needed to take place. But the good news is, is that Jesus paid it for you. And when you identify with that death, you are also identifying that I can no longer manage my life. It's out of control. I have been there and I wrestled with that only to find that he's good and he's the one I should have surrendered a long time ago to. It's to recognize that your life needs a new manager and his name is Jesus. And you have to die to all of your ways of living, all of the former things you think and say, Jesus, I enter into the death that you did for me so that I can experience the newness of life. And here's one of the glorious things about that. I want you to picture this. Imagine there is a car that's flying down William Floyd Parkway. And as it's flying down the road, running through red lights, you find out that the man is drunk. And as he's flying through lights, sure enough, as a light turns from green to red, he doesn't see it, and he smashes in the car in front of him. And the entire family, kids included, are killed. Now, each and every one of us would say, man, that man needs to be brought to justice. But what if I told you that they never pressed any charges? And do you know why? Because that man died as well in the crash. And you cannot bring charges against a dead man. When he says, enter into death with me, that is the only way to be released from the demand of the law on your life. It is a glorious thing to say, Jesus, I come to the end of myself. Because when that happens, every accusation, everything you've ever done is removed. And you can now walk in the newness of life. There is no other way to have peace with God than through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself asked it in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night he would be betrayed. He said, Father, if this cup may pass. In other words, Father, if there's another way for Andrew to be saved, can he do it through morality? Can he do it through, through being surrounded by the right people? And the Father, without saying a word, answers, there's no other way than the cross. It's the only way to experience the newness of life. And so my invitation for you today is the most glorious thing. I'm not leading you to a, a building. I'm not leading you to necessarily a prayer. I'm leading you to a person. When Jesus, listen to me, I want you to stay here. When Jesus was dedicating the temple, there's a man by the name of Simeon who held him. And when Simeon raised him up, 
and blessed him before the Father, he said, my eyes have seen salvation. Salvation's not a system, it's a person, and his name is Jesus. You can come to this place, but if you don't know him, it does not matter. What we need is more than an empty tomb. We need the revelation of the risen king. And I promise you this, it's not a promise of a perfect life, but I can tell you this, that when I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. Has it been perfect? Far from it. I'm a broken mess, I told you that. I've realized that more this week than ever before. But all I know is one thing, is I'm his and he is mine. And this is nothing to be ashamed of. We're a family and we celebrate victories here. But before I pray and have you guys released, I just want to know, you may say, I don't even understand what's going on. I just feel a tugging in my heart. I remember that feeling and saying, I feel like I'm going to die. What is this? But I knew I just had to respond and said something was saying, this is the truth. And so I just present to you, all I know is, is Jesus to change lives. And I just wonder if there's anyone in this room that says, I'm not sure where I stand, but I want to know before I leave that I'm his and he's mine. I don't care if it's one person, but is there anyone in this room that wants to make that decision. And if you do, I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Amen, brother. Is there anyone else? Yeah. Keep your hands up for one second. All right, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you raise your hand, I promise you we're not going to embarrass you. Caesar, can I ask you to do something? That room's open too if you're right here. Go ahead and stand up. See this man right here? As I pray for everyone else, he's going to minister to you and pray for you. If you've raised your hand, I'm just going to simply ask you to come over here. Come on, church, let's bless them as they go forward. This is an incredible moment. Come on. Thank you for listening to Home Church's podcast. To go deeper into the message, text DEEPER to 66866. If you would like to give to this ministry, you can text the amount to 631-693-4176 or visit us at myhomechurch.org backslash give.
Lazarus went into a grave, rose up, and he said, I've got the keys now. I'm the master. I'm the victor. I'm the one who triumphs. Come on now, somebody. Hello? What you need to start to understand is power in the prophetic word. The word speaks life over you, not death. And if people start speaking death over you, you call them out. My father doesn't say that about me. Hello, my heavenly father has nothing to do with that. That's another lie. That's a lie from the father of hell. Come on. You need to have the boldness of Christ to stand up and understand you're a child of God. And some of you in this room right here today, you've listened to too many lies from the pit of hell. I'm here to tell you, listen to the word that prophetically comes forth from the men and women of God in this pulpit, and you will find healing in Jesus' name. You will find deliverance in Jesus' name. You will discover who you are in Jesus' name, and you'll rise up above the pit. take you from the pit of death, the brink of death, the best thing that ever happened to you and it came to the end of yourself. Because you need to know you can't sit like that anymore. Yeah, another, uh, one of those great nuggets that a man of God passed into my life when I was at the dorms where he was. He said, Rick, you need to become a dead man. because we're still wanting to hold on to that. We hold on to jealousy because we want to hold on to that. We're still alive. We have to possess that. Jesus said, clothe himself and said, in Jesus' name, I commit myself to my Father, whatever they do. Let me tell you something. When you find conditions with yourself, that's when you find real freedom. I told this to Pastor Andrew. You may have been loved to death at 12 feet. judge ourselves by how much money and how much money we have or we don't have. We judge ourselves by how much uh, education we have or we don't have. You know what God said to all that? He sees the blood. He sees the blood. He sees his son going to the cross. And he says, you're valuable. His son went to the cross. He says, you're valuable. And I promise you, when you start to understand who you are and your identity in Christ, when you start to rise up above yourself, because it's not about you, it's about him. And I stepped out of that hospital 
understanding that there was a greater call and a greater anointing because we live in a culture, we live in a culture where value is placed on so many other things. And I started placing my value on what everybody else says was valuable instead of being that little small boy that grew up in the church and simply understood I was loved by Jesus and my value was in Jesus. But get this, when you even get into the church world, people want to say how good you play your instrument and they think that's value. They want to ask you how good you preach and they think that that's value. They want to ask you how, how well educated you are and that's your value. As much as important gifts are, your gift is not in your value. Your gift is not your value. Your value is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Your value is in what he says about you. And I'm going to tell you something. The last thing here this morning is this. He took me from the pit. Notice what I said. It's his testimony. It did, I did never say it's my testimony. I will never go there again because when I exalted myself is when I fell. But when I started exalting him is when I started to live again. Hello, somebody. And let me tell you something. Yes, give God praise. Give God praise for that. Don't fall into the trap of this world. This world has you to, oh, I've got to be this to be popular. I just got to be a son. So I went from the pit of my fleshly mind, that's how I like to describe it, to the palace of his spiritual mind. Oh, somebody better stand up and give God praise. I went from the pit of my fleshly mind, of my rational mind, and I went into the palace where the spiritual mind of God began to break off the chains. And that's where you are today. In Jesus' name, stand up and give him praise. Come on, we're going to pray for you. We're going to ask God to release his anointing. Because guess what? You're not in the pit any longer. You're going to the palace. You're going to the palace. And the palace is where the king lives. And you need the king's mind. You don't need your fleshly mind. You need the king to speak into your life. All over this place, Pastor, come on. Pastor Crystal, Pastor Melanie, come on up here. We're going to pray. Can we move this? Come on. We're going to pray. I'm believing God right now. Listen. Miracles are going to take place. Miracles are going to take place. Healings are going to take place. I'm declaring it right now. Why? Because it's not about my testimony. It's about his testimony. Hello? Are you in agreement with that? If you're in agreement with God, then I want you to step up here this morning. I want you to step up here this morning. Babe, I want you on the inside, you and Crystal in the middle, and me and uh, we're going to be the bookends on the we're, the, we're the tight ends, okay? No, 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 Crystal, go here. Babe, go here. All right. Come on. Come on. Come on. Alignment. Here's the thing. Altar call. Alignment. How many of you want to start walking in alignment with God? with what God has to say about you. That is the presence of God. I didn't just give you some story. That was my reality. But my reality today is whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Hello? Come on. Spirit of God right now, lift up your hands and we're going to just release the anointing. Spirit of 
every chain. Release every bondage. In the mighty name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, burn away darkness. There's authority in the name of Jesus. There's authority in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. Let this place become a sanctuary of high praise. Let this sanctuary become a sanctuary of high praise. The religious wanted to keep praise from being expressed. Come on, begin to praise him in this house. Begin to praise him in this house. Begin to glorify him in this house. In the mighty name of Jesus.
please listen. Please listen. I, I, I just had it. I dealt with a situation, and I did not mention this in, in the message, and I meant to. The issue with our thoughts, what we think and what we accept is what we align ourselves up with. We become in agreement with what we believe. Are you listening? How God began to break that in my life was because I started getting rid of what I did not agree with. I had to get rid of what I agreed with. I was believing a lie, which means I was agreeing with a lie. Are you hearing me? How you become free is to understand. Even if a thought comes to your mind, doesn't mean you have to agree to it. Hello? Hello, somebody. You need to hear that. You might have thoughts. I still have thoughts that come to my mind, but I don't agree with them no more. And because I don't agree with them, I agree with truth, then the, then the enemy's uh, agreement or enemy's bondage starts to be broken off. What you agree with or what you, what you listen to, you begin to believe, and then you become in agreement with. In Jesus' name, Jesus did this. When Satan come after him, and he said, bow down and worship me. Jesus said this, and this is the power of the word. He said, it is written. Every time the enemy gives you a false lie, you've got to counter it by saying, it is written. I don't agree with that which just came into my mind. I don't care if it's a curse. I don't care if it's a vulgar thought. I don't care what, I don't agree with that. That is not my father. Hello, somebody. You align yourself up with his word, what he says, and you come in agreement, and that's when the things are broken in Jesus' name. It's the power of agreement. I agree with what God says about me, not what anybody else says. Hello? That's the power. Do not agree or believe in something that's not true. Let the word break you. Or, or let the word bring you into alignment and agreement. Hello, somebody. Raise your hands right now. I just want to say that because some of you are coming up here and saying, well, what about this? What about this? Alignment with the word right now. You've got to be a lover of his word. Why? Because he's the living word. He's not just the word on paper. He's a living word. Where does he live? He lives in my heart. He lives in my mind right now. Jesus, begin to break and renew minds in Jesus' name.
finishing up praying, I just want to pray for, for us as a body. Thank God for Pastor John and what the Lord has done in his life. The reason why today is so powerful for those of you who are still here is because the anointing of the word, it's not in how well you prepare the message, it's whether or not you believe what you're sharing. And the reason why it's so powerful is because John is a living testimony of that. So, Lord, I thank you for Pastor John, for Pastor Melanie. I thank you that he doesn't just, he's not just sharing a message, Lord. He's sharing his testimony, your testimony in his life of how you've delivered him, God. And I pray for an increase in his life, Lord, that you would open up more doors to share the glorious hope that we have in you, Jesus. I thank you for every life that's been set free here. And I thank you, Jesus, that your freedom is not constricted to a Sunday. So, Lord, I pray as they go today, Lord, that you would seal your work and it would produce a permanent change in their life, Lord. We love you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.
We're going to have a, the Hope Day meeting in two minutes. Two minutes. Come into the sanctuary. You guys can come sit down. Hope Day meeting. Two minutes. Two minutes. Hope Day meeting. Two minutes. That's 120 seconds. One, two, just kidding. Come on and sit down. One minute, 60 seconds. One, two, Mississippi. Three, Mississippi. Thirty second commencement. Thirty seconds. Hope day meeting starting in thirty seconds. It's in the sanctuary. Find a seat if you're here for Hope Day. If you'd like to participate in Hope Day. Curtains closing for the Hope Day meeting. Curtains closing. palms in Hope Day.